0: This morning I want to start a sermon series uh, called "What a Name." Everybody shout, "What a Name!" Now I've been uh, pastoring over 20 years, and so Christmas comes every year. And so um, after a while, you know, you you gotta be fresh. You know, you can't preach the same sermon every year. So and it's the same story. So you gotta dig, and you gotta pray, and you gotta allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures to you. But I am so grateful and thankful that every time I come to the scriptures, that you always find something. Something there that you hadn't seen before, and it's it's so fresh, so refreshing to my spirit. And so, for the next few Sundays, I'm going to preach on the sermon or the sermon series. What a name! And we're going to look at some of the names of Jesus in the Christmas story and how that name can transform and change your life. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to open our ears and our hearts to hear your word. Let your word go forth in power and in boldness and everyone shouted a great big amen. One of the most exciting things that a parent gets to do is to name their child. Now, most parents take that responsibility very seriously because they believe that names carry a purpose and a meaning behind it. For example, I have never heard of a parent naming their child Lucifer or Judas. I've never heard that before, maybe, but I've never heard it before because we understand that names uh, signify purpose. They signify, identity, and they signify some sort of a meaning. In the Bible, it is also true that when you look at this Old Testament especially, names were very, very important. They were significant to the person's destiny. They were significant to the person's calling. For example, I'll give you one scripture. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 4 through 6, speaking of Abram or Abraham, I want you to notice what the scripture states about Abraham's name. And I quote, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and ye Shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your child. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Now, did you notice that God changed the name of Abram? He changed it to Abraham because names have meanings. Names are significant. Names convey destiny, and the word. Abraham Abraham means father of many nations. And God was establishing his covenant through a man that through that man, many nations would be birthed. Abraham, the father of many nations. What are you saying, pastor? I am saying that names are significant in your identity, purpose, and calling and destiny, especially in the pages of the scriptures. And one of the most important things about the Christmas story is that Jesus was given a name by the angel to his earthly father, Joseph. Let me read the scripture to you for, to, to, for your remembrance. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20, I want to recall to you how the angel gave a specific name to Joseph concerning this Christ child. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus for. He will save his people from their sins. Do you see the significance of what the angel said here? The angel said to Joseph, I want you to call that baby Jesus. Why? Because he has a purpose, he has a destiny. And what is that purpose? For he shall save his people from their sins. Now, in biblical times, the father usually would pass his name on to the oldest child. That was the custom. The father would pass his name on to the oldest child. Remember the story. Of Zacharias and Elizabeth, how he wanted to name his son after himself, but he became mute, could not speak. And when it was time to name the child, he was able to speak. His mother and Zacharias said, "His name shall be called John, not Zacharias, because it was the custom to name your child after the father." And here in the Christmas story, Jesus's name is not Joseph. The angel said, "Hold on, I got to make sure that you get this right. You're gonna, I'm going to change a generation here. I'm." going to change the course of the world. And I'm stepping in and I'm changing his name. Don't call him Joseph. Call his name Jesus. For that baby shall save his people from their sins. Somebody say amen. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 verse number 12, the apostle gives reference to this name. And I quote, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby men must be saved. Can somebody thank God? God for the name of Jesus, Amen. I say, can you thank God for that name that shall save His people from their sins? And I want to stop and say this very clearly: Christmas is not complicated. Christmas is simple. Thank you, Pastor Ronnie. Very simple. He shall be called Jesus, and He shall save His people from their sins. Christmas is about hope. Christmas is about expectation. Christmas is about redemption. Christmas is. Is about forgiveness. For he shall save his people from their sins. Is there anybody in the building that needs some sins forgiven this morning? Amen. I love that old hymn of the church. We used to sing it years ago, but it was written in the late 1800s. And maybe you can find it in the Rolodex of your mind this morning. It goes like this: There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing. It's worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweet sweetest name on earth oh how I love Jesus oh how I love Jesus oh how I love Jesus because he first loved me it tells me of a savior's love who died to set me free it tells me of his precious blood the sinners perfectly oh how I love Jesus oh how I love Jesus you see my friends the angel said to Joseph his name shall be called Jesus because that child has a purpose that child has a destiny he will save his people from their sins but as a student of the Word of God I also realize that other names are ascribed to Jesus Jesus has a plethora of names if you search through the Bible from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation you will soon discover that Jesus has a plethora of names now for the sake of time I don't have time to preach on all the names of Jesus but there is an Old Testament prophecy a Christmas scripture it's a scripture that you hear of often during the Christmas season especially during the Advent season, the weeks that's up to Easter, up to Christmas, preparing our heart for the arrival of the Christ child. It's a, it's a, it's a scripture that you hear of often, but this scripture is filled with truth because if you understand the background and you understand the prophecy and the historical setting, then it brings so much more light to what this name truly means. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, the prophet Isaiah said, for unto you, a child is born unto us, a son is given and the government, shall be upon his shoulders for his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Amen. His name shall be called. There's a son given to us and the prophet said his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now for the next few weeks, that's what I want to do because I think what a name. What a name this is. If you look at these four names, Wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the Christmas story. This is the Christmas child. And the prophet said that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. For the next three Sundays, we're going to go through the pages of the scriptures, and we're going to understand what it means that Jesus is the Mighty God. What does it mean that Jesus is the Eternal Father? And what does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? And how? Is this significant to my life? Oh, Jesus is God, but how does that change my life? Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but what does that have to do with me? But I'm glad that you're here because for the next few weeks, we're going to look at what these names mean, and we're also going to look at how it applies to your life and how your life can be changed in this Christmas season as a result of the words of the prophet. Now, my friends, as I was studying this, I noticed something, that there is a discussion. A lot of theologians will have disagreements about this particular text. Not a big disagreement, but I think that as a student of the scriptures, I need to inform you what the uh, some of the disagreement is. Some theologians believe that, uh, Sister Fossine, if you could put the scripture back up there, Isaiah 9, 6, so I want you to look at it. Some people think that there needs to be a comma uh, between Wonderful, Counselor, and then of course you have Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. But then if you go to the New American Standard Bible, which many people believe is more accurate, it towards the Greek and the Hebrew. This is how it reads in the New American Standard Bible. For a child will be given to us, a son will be given to you, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So the disagreement is, is that some theologians think that there's not four names, there's five names. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, and Prince of Peace. They believe that wonderful, and then the other side, the fact. The other side of the fence is that some theologians say, no, 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 no. Wonderful is an adjective that describes as counselor. It's actually wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father and prince of peace. So through my study, my diligent study of the scriptures, I believe that the prophet was actually adding an adjective to the counselor. I believe there's four names. I don't believe that there's a common there to describe wonderful and counselor, but then I want to say this to you. I don't think it really matters because he's still wonderful all by himself. And he's still still a counselor. Can I hear an amen? So, the scripture states that his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god, eternal father and prince of peace. And this morning I want to look at one name in the Christmas story. The prophet said, his name shall be called a wonderful counselor. Now, when you think of the word wonderful, we throw it around, isn't it? Oh, she's wonderful. He's wonderful. It's wonderful. The food is wonderful. It's kind of like we throw around the word love. I love Ice cream, and I really do. And I love this, and I love that. Or this is beautiful. Sometimes we don't know how significant words really are. And this word "wonderful" is not a wonderful that you would just use in everyday language. The word "wonderful" it actually conveys beyond comprehension. It means incomprehensible. It, 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 it's it's beyond our understanding. The word "counselor" is not just like a social worker or a school guidance counselor. The word counselor here is actually means a wise and trusted advisor, or some people would say a ruler, somebody who is wise and trusted who can rule. So in other words, the prophet here is saying that this person, this person that's going to be born is incomprehensible. This person that's going to be born is incomprehensible, incomprehensible, excuse me, and he's he's trusted. He, he He's a ruler, but he's wise. He's a wise ruler. He's full of wisdom. He's beyond our understanding. And this morning, I want to look at four things that this wonderful counselor does for us. Wonderful counselor. What does this wonderful counselor do for us? Number one, the wonderful counselor, he illuminates our darkness. He illuminates our darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but many years ago, I think it was in 2013, I was praying on Annie Baxter, the old church. And as I was praying and pouring my heart out to God, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to go to counsel. And uh, of course, I was offended that the Holy Spirit would ask me to go to counseling because I grew up in old school and I just thought you needed to pray through everything. But I soon realized that when I started to go to counseling, I started to uncover the hurts in my life that I've covered up all my life, all the issues of when I was a child and things that had happened. And, um, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't bad according to your definition, but just hurts that I've covered up coming from some dysfunction. And all of us, if we're truthful, we have some dysfunction in our life. And sometimes we live out of our insecurities and we don't know how to deal with the issues of our life. And instead of us building bridges, we build walls in our life. And I built, I built walls in my life and, and I was hurt as a child. And, 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 and so, uh, so I went to a counselor and when I first went, I went to an assembly as a God counselor and I just cried and cried, uh, talking about my childhood and, 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 and certain things and how hard it was and etc. And I'm not here to glorify and, and say, look at me. That's not, what one of my purpose, but the Holy Spirit did something in my life. And I realized that it's okay to go and talk to someone. I realized that the Bible says to confess your faults one to another, that ye may be healed. And I'm a firm believer that maybe some of us are not being healed is because we have put a mask on for so long in our life. We build walls in our life for so long. We don't know how to open up. We don't know how to communicate. We don't know how to talk. We get offended. We're a defensive. We we, 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 it's easy to curl up and be in isolation and lick our wounds. It's easy to have a wound-licking fest, to to lick our wounds and have a self-pity party. But I've learned one thing in life, church, is that you cannot be pitiful and powerful at the same time. you got to make a decision. And I believe that I'm more healthier today as a husband and a father because the Holy Spirit revealed to me my defensive nature, my insecurities, and the things that I overlooked because I thought that I was being strong in the Lord. Now, I'm full of weakness and I still struggle, uh, but all of us struggle. But I am so glad that I have a mindset that I'm not where I was, I'm not where I am, but I'm going to be everything that God has called me to be. I wanna be a growing person. And sometimes when life gets hard, you know what we do? We seek a counselor and it's okay to seek a counselor. Sometimes we can't see what other everybody else sees. If everybody agrees with you, that's not good. You need somebody that doesn't see the way you see it. Somebody that's not in this situation, And that's why we pay a counselor, isn't it? We pay a counselor to tell us something that we're afraid to admit or that we can't see ourselves. You see, this scripture in Isaiah chapter 9, that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, that scripture was 800 years before the birth of Christ. Now, I want you to understand something, and I don't want you to lose me. The reason that scripture was written was because Judah, which is God's people, they were living in darkness, they were living in gloom, and they were depressed and in distress. Do you know why? Because the Assyrians, the the enemy of the people of God, was coming in to invade them and they had no hope. They were hopeless. They, they, They were depressed. They were in darkness and they needed help. And guess what the writer said? Isaiah was writing during the darkest time of God's people. There was like a dark cloud over God's people. And Isaiah, who felt inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned these words. He said, For us a child is born. Unto us a child is given. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. He said the government shall be upon his shoulders. In other words, the prophet said, listen, I know it's dark. I know it's gloomy. I know that you are in distress because of the enemy, but your problems will not be satisfied or fixed because of your military strength. Your problem will only be fixed. When you fix your eyes upon this child, this child is wonderful. This child is the eternal father. This child is the Prince of Peace. He was prophetically speaking of the birth of Christ. I want you to see the whole scripture here. I want you to see it. Nevertheless, look at this. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Do you see that? The prophet said the time of darkness and despair, it's not going to last forever. Look at verse two. He says, the people that walk in darkness, you're going to eventually see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a great light will begin to shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest. Look at verse four, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden off of their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod as you destroyed, as you did when you destroyed the army of the Midians. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms of the bloodstained by war will be burned. They will be fuel for the fire, for a child is born to us and a son is given. Notice verse number two. Verse number two said, the people who walked in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in deep darkness, a light will shine. The prophet was saying, the nation is in distress. The nation is in darkness. I know you are in a state of depression in a state of darkness. He says, but it's not going to last forever. You're going to see a light. Even if you're in deep darkness, you're going to see a light. Why? Because this light is going to come from a person. I don't know about you, my friends, but we are living in dark times, just like Judah. We're living in desolate times. We're living in times where people are forsaking the scriptures. People are forsaking church. They're slacking on spiritual disciplines. People don't have a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview anymore. We are more humanistic about our thinking nowadays. We certainly do live in humanistic times. If you are a conservative Christian, you are now attacked. You're now on the off. You're on the other side of the tracks, so to speak. Now it's time for us to know that even though we live in dark and perilous times, there is a light that's going to shine and is shining. And His name is Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. My friends, isn't that what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4? The Bible says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the gospel or the good news. They don't understand the message of the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. Do you see that scripture? This is the culture that you and I are living in. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the hearts of those that don't believe and they do not see the light of the gospel. And that is why we are celebrating Christmas because Christmas reminds reminds us that no matter how dark it is, no matter how cold it is, no matter how deep the darkness may be, there is always light and that light is Christ. Christ, somebody say Amen. David said, "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy, for thy, for you are with me." How do you have a shadow in a valley of death? You have a shadow in the valley when there's light in the proximity of the valley. I'm telling you, it may be dark, but it's not completely dark. It may be bad, but it's not completely bad. Can I hear an Amen? Things may be going downhill, but it's not completely going downhill because as long as the Church of Jesus Christ is here then the Church of Jesus Christ is the light to a broke broken and hurting world so I would say to you my friends lift up your voice and lift up your hands and celebrate Christmas today because it is it is the gospel to the world for he shall save his people from their sins. My my challenge to you today is, are you willing to admit any dark places in your life? Is there any dark places in your life that you need the Christmas child to bring light on? Just like a natural physical counselor brings light to our problems, this wonderful counselor brings light to the hidden problems of our life. Is there deep dark places in your life that you have shut the door and threw away the key? I encourage you during this Christmas season to allow the light of the Holy Spirit to shine upon the dark places of your life. Don't hide them. Jesus wants to be invited into the dark places of your life. Number two, what does a counselor do? Well, a counselor not only illuminates our path for us, but a counselor will discern our hearts. He discerns our hearts just like a, a counselor will discern what is right and wrong in a situation But and, and help us to coach us to understand what we need to do. You have to understand that counselors are limited. A counselor doesn't really know your heart. Now, you can explain your your heart. They can look at the situation. They can try to properly diagnose what is wrong and give you helpful tools. And all of that's wonderful and great. But a counselor is limited. They don't know the deep places of your life. They only can discern what you tell them and what they sense. But we do have a wonderful counselor this morning that knows the deepest, darkest places of our life. That's encouraging. Because when people lie on you, when people say things to you that's not true, you can understand something. If they don't know me personally, I'm not going to take it personally. You see, don't get offended over everything, because there's only one that sits high and looks low, and his name is Jesus, and he understands the deepest, darkest places of our lives. I'm telling you today, church, he knows, he sees, he sees every problem, he sees every angle, he sees every behavior, he sees every motive, and he still loves us anyway, even though he knows all about it. Have you ever told a trusted friend some of your faults and failures, and did they do? Some people just back away because they look at you differently. But this wonderful counselor doesn't look at you differently because he knows it all anyway. He knows your behavior. He knows your motive. The Bible says in Proverbs 5 and verse 21, for the Lord clearly sees what a man does, examining every path he takes. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 verse 10, but I the Lord search the hearts, examine the secret motives, and I give the people their due rewards according to their actions Deserved. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 139, verse 23, the psalmist David said it like this: Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 verse 13, nothing is hidden in that is nothing in creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable to. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that not only does a counselor illuminate the darkness in our life, but a counselor will also discern our heart. He's a wonderful counselor because he discerns what our heart truly is. And I want to challenge you today. Not only am I challenging you, is there any dark places in your life that you need to let the Lord in and and, and work on? But number two, have you asked the Lord to discern the secret places of your life? Have you prayed and said, Lord, there's some places I need you to discern because I can't discern myself. I don't know if it's faith or I don't know if it's doubt. I don't know. I need you to discern my heart. I need you to bring to light those things in my life that needs to be corrected and changed, rearranged. Need you to do that work in my life. The counselor is wonderful because he illuminates our darkness. He discerns our hearts. Number three, the counselor is wonderful because he listens to our every need. If you go to a counselor, he's a great counselor. If he listens, he sits there with his legs crossed. Mm -hmm. He listens. Somebody asked Mother Teresa, what? what is the definition of love? She says, love is to listen. Because that's what you do. Love is is to listen. Because when you listen to someone, you become intimate with them. You open your heart and you hear them. That's what a counselor does. They listen intently to discern the solution to your problems. But we have a wonderful counselor that he always listens. He's never distracted. The Bible says in Psalm 34 verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to the cry. Is there anybody in the building that's so thankful that we have a wonderful counselor, that his ears are always open to our cry. You see, with a counselor here on earth, you got to schedule a meeting and pay them a hundred and some dollars to meet with them. And they're not always open to your cry, but we have a wonderful counselor who you don't have to pay anything. You just go with a broken and contrite heart and the Bible says the promise is he will always hear you no matter what time of the day or night it may be. And my friends, that's why he's wonderful. Let me ask you and challenge you this. Sometimes when we come to the Lord, and we pray to the Lord, we want the Lord to do what we want the Lord to do. But if you're going to listen, and if you're going to have the Lord to listen to you, then you need to listen to the Lord, because communication is two ways. I want to propose this thought to you. Are you willing to put a yes on the table before you ask him the question? Are you willing to already be submitted when you come to the Lord? Sometimes when we come to the Lord, we already have idols in our heart. We already want something so bad enough that we convince ourselves it's God. Are you willing to put your yes on the table before you ask him the question? In other words, are you willing to say yes to whatever he suggests to you? Whatever he tells you, are you willing to put a yes on the table even before you come to him in prayer? Are you allow? Are you willing to allow Jesus to fix your heart before he fixes the situation? Isn't that what we want to do? When we go to a counselor, we want the counselor to fix the situation. Get me out of this marriage trouble. Fix my husband. Fix my wife. Fix that child of mine. Fix this. Fix that. But when you deal with a wonderful counselor, the wonderful counselor wants to fix the heart before he fixes the situation. Hallelujah. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, I got it, Pastor. Are you willing to allow this counselor to fix the heart before he fixes a situation? Lastly, in closing, this wonderful counselor always speaks the truth. You know, when you're in a counseling room, you expect the counselor to help you, to speak truth to you. And sometimes that truth is difficult to accept, but we know that healing will only occur if we continue to submit to the truth of the counselor. Jesus is called a wonderful counselor counselor. Do you know why he's called a wonderful counselor? He's a wonderful counselor because his truth is always true. His advice is always right. Listen to Pastor Josh as I close. He's a wonderful counselor because his wisdom is always right. His wisdom is always right. It's always correct. You don't ever have to doubt it. You don't have to think about it. You can accept it as true because whatever he tells you, it's always true because he is the truth. His advice is wonderful. His advice this is true. Above your parents, he's always right. Above your spouse, he's right. Above the school, he's right. Above society, he's right. Above culture, he's right. He's right. What he says is right. Saint Augustine, Augustine, if you want to call, said this in Confessions 8 and, 8 and 7. He said, He said, Oh Lord, make me pure, but not yet. Sometimes we want the Lord to fix the situation, and not our heart. You see, John chapter 9, verse 6, listen to this. Listen, listen, look, look at this New Testament story of healing. A man being healed by the pool of Siloam. And when he said these things, he spit on the ground and made clay with his saliva. Aren't you glad that I don't do that? And he anointed his eyes of the blind man with clay and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now hold on here. Look at this scripture. The man is blind. Jesus takes his spit, mixes it in the clay, makes some clay, puts it on his face, puts it in his eyes and tells the man, go wash in the pool. That don't make sense. Dude, I can't see where the pool's at because you just spit in my face and I got some dirt in my eyes. How do I know where the pool's at? My point is this. Obedience doesn't always make sense. It doesn't make sense why I gotta go to church when I don't feel good. It doesn't make sense why I gotta give and gotta, you know, participate when... It doesn't make sense. I get it. It doesn't make sense sometimes. But this is a faith walk. Yes, you're supposed to engage your mind. You're not supposed to check your mind out of the front door. You're supposed to engage your mind and your heart. But sometimes we have a conversation conflict between them both. Or listen, are you willing? Now listen to me, church. Are you willing to allow Jesus to clean your mess, but also clean the motive behind what created the mess? He's a wonderful counselor because a wonderful counselor not only cleans the mess, but he cleans the motive that's behind the mess. Not only does he clean the heart, he cleans the situation, but he wants to clean the heart before the situation. He wants to clean the motive before the mess. He's a wonderful counselor. A few years ago, a preacher told a story. He said, a man fell in a pit and the man couldn't get up. The man yelled, help, help, help. Get me out of this pit. And as the man was in the pit, a Christian scientist come along, looked down on the pit and said, well, you only think you are in a pit. And walked on. The man in the pit kept yelling, help, help, help. A Pharisee runs by. And a Pharisee looks down in the pit and says, only bad people fall in the pit, sir. And the Pharisee walks on. A fundamentalist comes along with his Bible, sees the man in the pit, looks at the man and says, you deserve the pit. The man in the pit has said, help, help, help. A charismatic Pentecostal comes along. He sees the man in the pit and says, Oh, brother, just confess that you're not in the pit. You're not in the pit. Just confess that, brother. The man in the pit is yelling, help, help. A social gospel pastor comes along, looks at the man in the pit, and says, "Well, we brought you some food and clothing while you're in the pit so you can be comfortable." A Calvinist walks by the pit and says, "Oh, this was not an accident, you know. It was predetermined that you should be in the pit." An optimist comes along. He says, "Oh, brother, things will get better." A pessimist walks around, says, "Oh, brother, things will get worse." Says, "Hold on, brother." But Jesus comes along, looks at the man, grabs the man by the hand, and pulls him out of the pit. That is why Jesus is wonderful. Can somebody say, "Amen"? He's wonderful. What a name! He shall save his people from their sins. My friends, it's Christmas, the greatest season of all. A baby had come down from heaven, was born of the Virgin Mary, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Angels came up on the Judean hillside, begin to sing "Happy Birthday" because a wonderful Savior was born in the town of Bethlehem. And I believe His church needs to raise their voices and raise their hands and thank God. The light has come to deliver us. Jesus is the Alpha. Jesus is the babe of Bethlehem. He is the Christ and the creator. He is the door and the day star. He is Emmanuel, exalted one, and the everlasting. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is our God. He is our guide. He is the good shepherd. He is our hope. He is our help. He is our healer. He is the great I am. He is our inheritance. He is our joy. He is our justifier. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is Lord. He is love. He's light. He's living water. He's a lamb of God. He's the Messiah. He's the master. He's the mediator. He's the messenger. He's the man of sorrows. He is Nazarene. He's the new wine. The new covenant. He is Omega. He's the offering of sin. He is the prophet. He's the priest. He's the Passover. He is the quieter of man's storms. He is the redeemer. The refuge. The refiner. The rose of Sharon. He is the He is the shepherd. He's the suffering servant. He's the son of God. He is truth. He is the teacher. He is the lamb of God. He is the vine. He is the sacrifice. He's the serpent lifted on high. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the water from the rock. He is the bread of life. Oh what a name. Oh what a name. He is a wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. What a name. What a name. Would you stand across the building and give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah.